Second Thessalonians is over toward the back part of the New Testament. And so if you go to the last book in the New Testament and work to the left, you won't have a very far journey to get there. Second Thessalonians is the uh, epistle of our study today, and chapter 2 is where we will read. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and the verses are 13 and 14, and I want to speak this morning concerning the subject of the pursuit of holiness or the doctrine of sanctification. Now some of you just tuned me out right then, and because uh, of that big long doctrinal term, hang in there and don't go to sleep yet. But we should always give thanks, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through faith in the truth. And it was for this He called you, that is, for this sanctification He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Williams translates that little phrase, um, through the consecration of you by the Holy Spirit. And J.B. Phillips has it, and God has chosen to make you holy through the work of His Spirit. Sanctification by the Spirit. I know this morning that I'm taking this little phrase out of context. It's not really a statement, not a sentence, of course. And I'm perfectly aware of that and equally aware that, that to take a statement like this or a phrase like this out of the context, that it's tempting to do violence to the context. I don't want to do that with what I want to do this morning, and I promise you I'll, um, I'll avoid that. Because the context has to do with the great work of salvation, of which sanctification is a part of that experience. I want to say right up front that, that when I come to this subject, I do it with some trepidation, with some reserve for several reasons. One is because I'm aware of my own unholiness, my own sinfulness. Somebody asked Jess Moody one time to define what holy is. And Moody said, holy is what I am not. Well, that's exactly my definition of it. I have some reserve this morning when I begin to talk with you about the doctrine of sanctification because of the negative connotation that's often applied to that term, that subject. There's so much appalling imperfection in the lives of those who claim perfection. And there's so many weird things done in the name of sanctification. And we talk about people having a sanctimonious look or a sanctified look, and we do so with a, in a negative way, in a negative connotation. When I think of sanctification or holiness, it's twin, I get these flashbacks 
of that little church down on the railroad track in my hometown where they had these wild services on Saturday night and where ministers in the name of religion handled snakes and of women that, that accepted rigid pharisaical restrictions and tried to practice them. I come with some reserve to this subject this morning because, thirdly, of our appalling ignorance of it. Right up front, I want to divide this congregation this morning into three categories. There are some of you who have never heard the term before. You don't have the slightest hint as to what I'm talking about when I talk about sanctification. And there are some of you this morning who have heard about it and have uh, read about it and have some kind of a, a faint idea about the, the doctrine of sanctification. And then there are some of you this morning who glory in this marvelous provision that God has made for us in Christ. But even though it is one of the supreme distinctives of the Christian religion, most of us really don't know what it is. And so we live our lives out without knowing coherently of the highest and richest provision that God has made for us in Christ in this present life. And so if evangelical churches need one thing above any one thing, it might be a ringing recall to personal holiness without which we cannot receive the highest blessings from God or experience the deepest fellowship of God or be the most useful to God. As a matter of fact, without holiness, we cannot even be in the will of God. For Paul says in another place, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Now, first of all, there needs to be an explanation. There needs to be a kind of a definition of what I'm talking about. When you see in the Bible the English word sanctify, sanctified, or sanctifieth, they are always and ever the noun or verb forms of the Greek word hagios, holy. The hagios spirit, the holy spirit, the holy temple. And the central idea of that word is separateness or set-apartness or cleansedness. It is absolute moral and spiritual purity. So sanctification is the renewal of the whole moral and spiritual being of a man. And the scripture references divide sanctification into two categories. There is positional sanctification and practical or experiential sanctification. Positional sanctification is objective. It's what God does for us through Jesus. And practical sanctification or experiential sanctification is what God does in us through the Holy Spirit. One is, is, refers to standing and the other refers to state. Now with regard to positional sanctification, Hebrews 10.10 says this, For by which will of God we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. And the verb form there means, refers to a final, perfect, and completed act. Through the perfect nature and sacrifice of our dear Lord, and through His perfect covering of our demerit, we have been sanctified, that is, cleansed and set apart, 
and made utterly morally pure in the eyes of God once and for all and forevermore. Now there are six things that need to be said about positional sanctification. It is by the election of God the Father. It is through our union with God the Son. It is actualized by the work of God the Holy Spirit. It is coincidental with justification. It covers all believers generally and it is once and for all and forever a perfect finished work. All the glory of positional sanctification. In justification, our sins are placed upon Jesus. In sanctification, His loveliness, His glory is covering us so that when the eyes of God, our judge, look upon us, He sees us sanctified. That is, He sees us as sinless, as His sinless sin-bearer. But He sees more than that. He sees us covered by the loveliness of Christ. It is not just the absence of moral ugliness. It is the presence of moral uh, loveliness so that God sees us sanctified. That is, not just as sinless as the sinlessness of Christ, but He sees us as lovely as the loveliness of Christ. And we need to grasp that. For if you think yourself a loser, you'll be a loser. If you think yourself a winner, you'll be a winner. If you think yourself bad, you'll be bad. If you think yourself good, you'll be good. You have this position in Jesus Christ, all of the loveliness of God Himself manifested in Jesus, covering you. Now there is experiential or practical sanctification. Now watch this. Practical sanctification is when what we are in standing becomes what we are in state. It is when what we are in Christ becomes what we are in self. It is when what we are positionally becomes what we are practically or experientially. Now we know positionally we are perfect. Now follow this. Don't misquote me today at noon. We know that positionally we are perfect because of what God does for us in Christ. And we long to be perfect experientially because of what God does in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Our longing is a genuine experience of the inwrought sanctification. So that I have to ask myself some questions about practical sanctification. And they are these. I am truly converted, but am I truly consecrated? I possess Jesus Christ in my life, but have I allowed Jesus Christ to possess me? I am born of the Spirit, but am I filled with the Spirit? I am risen with Christ, but am I reigning with Him? I have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son, but I, do I have the peace of God flowing through my soul? We can have positional sanctification, but not practical sanctification. It's the problem with hundreds of us. 
And that leads us to the experience of sanctification. Now I want to say three things about the experience of sanctification. First of all, I want to look at it as a positive event. Then I want us to see it as a progressive experience. And then finally, I want us to nail down sanctification as a perfecting excellence, a positive event. Where does sanctification begin? Now let me go back and just catch up with what we've just said. Just review a minute. When you, coincidental with your justification, with your salvation, when you repent of your sin and by faith you turn to Jesus Christ and you trust Him and Him only for your salvation, in that very moment, at that time, God in Jesus Christ takes you and places you into Christ and you're covered with His righteousness. You're covered with His loveliness. You have a position in Jesus Christ coincidental with your salvation that makes you as faultless as Christ Himself is faultless. So if you have been saved, if you've come to that encounter of salvation, if you've been converted, if you've been born again, if you've repented of your sin, whatever you talk, however you talk about it, if you've come to Christ for salvation, in that very moment God placed you into Christ and He sees you covered with His loveliness. That's positional sanctification. But there is practical sanctification. How do we get to that? That's where I want to spend the remainder of this message. I believe that's when what we are in standing becomes what we are in state. I believe it all begins from a human perspective when we make a rediscovery or we, make a, we have a comprehension of the relationship we have with Christ when we gave ourselves to Him. Now hang right in there with me. It's... It begins with a comprehension of our relationship with Christ that we began with Him when we gave our heart to Him in salvation. Moody says that Christ is as great a Savior, as great a Lord as we make Him to be. Whatever we ask, He gives. So if all we ask from Him is forgiveness, that's what He gives us. I think He may be right. I'm afraid He may be right. And I think we need to go back to the initial beginning, to the place of start, to the place of beginning, and discover this, hear me, friend, and discover this, that when I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, I received all that He includes. And the Scripture says that He includes all that's necessary for life and godliness. Did you hear that? I want to say that again. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive not only Christ and His salvation, you receive all that He includes, and He includes all that's necessary for life and godliness. That means that you have in you now all that's necessary to live just like Jesus. Now some of you are saying, I need more faith to be a better Christian. You, you have all the faith there is if you are a Christian. Some of you say, I, want, I need more love so I can love the unlovely. You have all the love there will ever be. 
I need more patience. You have all the patience now. I need more wisdom. You have all the wisdom now. You have everything that Christ includes, and He includes all of that, all that's necessary for life and godliness. Now let me illustrate. Let's suppose you have a hundred acre plot of land somewhere and you are farming that just kind of on the side and things are getting rough for you. Who, you know, welcome to the crowd. You know, and you're, you're financially bankrupt. You're going broke. You're broke. You've got bills you can't pay. And besides that, you found out that you have a, a, a lingering illness that needs medical treatment. You don't have the, the funds, the finances to take care of that. And so you're living in poor health and you're financially bankrupt. And you've got this hundred acre plot of land. And suppose that you didn't know it, but underneath that plot of land are large deposits of gold and oil, enough to set you free from bondage financially and enough to restore good health to you. Underneath what you already possess are these deposits of, of riches. Now, it wouldn't be necessary for you to add 10 more acres to your, your procession. That's not going to do you any good. And it's not going to be necessary for you to work harder and till the land you have. That's not going to help you any. What you need to do is discover and appropriate what you already possess. There is a difference between possession and appropriation. And you let your mind go back to the Israelis. Really, God gave them Canaan and the riches of Canaan in Abraham's promise but he really gave it to them for sure they had it when they were financially bankrupt in the wilderness and dying out there. They had all the riches and the glory and the blessings of Canaan. But they had to come to a place of appropriation and occupation. They had to possess what they possessed. And so they came to the crisis of appropriation. They came to the crisis of occupation. They came to the crisis of the Jordan. And the scripture said, God's promise was that they had to cross the Jordan and put the sole of their foot on that which they possessed. And in that principle of occupation, it was theirs. And they came to that crisis moment and they crossed the Jordan on dry land like the Red Sea and they stepped over into Canaan and they put their foot on it and everything they touched was theirs because they came across, they came through the crisis of appropriation. Now watch this and hear me well. You have all that Christ includes, but you must come to a crisis of the Jordan. You have to come sometime in your life to the crisis of occupation and appropriation. And that requires two things. It requires absolute, total consecration of everything to God and faith to receive it. Absolute consecration, absolute yieldedness to God. And if there is a defective consecration, it paralyzes faith. Now watch this. Just a while back, I went out here to the hospital and I reached out to shake the hand of a patient there. He told me he had a stroke and he couldn't move his right arm. His arm would not respond to receive my hand until there is a total consecration of your life at the crisis of appropriation. It paralyzes faith. 
You wonder why you can't receive God's blessing and power in your life? It is probably because you have never totally consecrated your life to Him. Everything, everything to Him. Everything to Him. And when you come in that crisis of consecration and you commit everything to God, He releases faith to receive. The Holy Spirit is released and the Holy Spirit's hand reaches out to take the things of God and apply them to your life. You see, before we could be saved, God had to do some vital things for us and He did those vital things for us through Christ at Calvary. Before we can have this practical or experiential holiness of sanctification, He has to do some vital things in us through the Holy Spirit. Calvary is where righteousness was imputed. The Holy Spirit is where righteousness is imparted. And the Holy Spirit cannot do that work in our life until there is absolute consecration of our lives to Him in that crisis moment. And I think it's easier, I know it's easier to receive the invisible Savior than it is to hand over everything to the invisible Master. It's a positive event. It is secondly a progressive experience. It is both sudden and progressive. It is progressive as the result of that which is sudden. For when we come to that total consecration and we release the Holy Spirit to work in our life, and actualize what God wants to do in us, then He begins to open doors and He begins to give us visions of of, uh, what we are to be and how we can be. And we go from light to light. We go from faith to faith. And God begins to make this change in our life in the Holy Spirit. And He makes that change in our life through the Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that you don't sin. Of course we do. When Israel got into Canaan, they lost battles, they failed God, they cheated, they lied, but they didn't have to go back across the Jordan and come back over again. Once you have that crisis of appropriation, once you come to that place of absolute consecration, you don't have to go back and do that over and over again. You don't have to come down every Sunday and re-consecrate your life to Christ but you do have to deal with those sins that come in your life immediately as they come up and make restitution where that's necessary. You deal with those sins and those defeats day by day as you maintain that yieldedness to God. And Sid Lowe Baxter puts it like this. All that is divinely wrought within us must obviously be received by faith inasmuch as it is a work beyond our own power. Yet on the human side, there is to be perseverance in prayer. Now these are the things from the human perspective that, that, that result, that are the result of that progressive cleansing and, and, and moral purification. There has to be perseverance in prayer, which is one of the means by which communion with Christ and absorption of His communicated life are maintained. There is also to be, in dependence of Him, parentheses, continual resistance of temptation, continual determination not to allow anything to come between us and the will of God, 
continual endeavor to fulfill all the teachings and admonishings of the written word, continual guarding against wrong ambition or inordinate desire, all this and more indeed is necessary on the human side, all independence of Christ, dependence on Christ, of course, parentheses. For while none of it in itself can effect inward sanctification, all of it is necessary if the renewing work of the Holy Spirit within us is not to be impaired. What a word. Now what he was saying is this. He's saying once you step over the Jordan, once you come to that crisis of appropriation, then these things, prayer and perseverance and, and, and rejection and, and of, of sin and the cleansing of, that comes in, in, in confession, these things have to be maintained day after day or the Holy Spirit's work will be impaired in us and the progress will cease. Now, there are some of us who have wondered, you know, we wonder about these things. Some of us have wondered about this. When I became a Christian, you know, like 30 years ago, some might say, I've really, I'm still having the same problem with the same sins as, though, as that day I was saved. I mean, I'm still battling with them every day. I'm still not any further down the road in growth and holiness than I was then. Then, then perhaps we have either never come to that absolute consecration of everything to God or we're not dealing with these things adequately day by day. There's one last word, please. You know, when you, when you go to your library and you decide you're going to preach on a subject like this and there are just volumes of books on it, you wonder how you could say what needs to be said in 20 minutes. So I go 25 and uh, wonder how you could do it in that. One last thing just in this brief message. It is a perfecting excellence. Now look, watch. John says, it, we, below, Beloved, we are now the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What a verse. And what John was saying is this. He's saying, we, we have positional sanctification. We are now the sons of God. But we've not yet attained to that position. But one day we will, because when He comes, we'll see Him as He is, and we'll be like Him. We'll be like Him. Now there is, when God finished his work of creation in this, on this, after the sixth day of creation. He rested on the Sabbath. There will be a rest of God in heaven. When Jesus comes back and we are made into the finished product and we are totally conformed to the image of his Son in that ultimate consecration that's implied in that word, we shall see him as he is. We'll be like Jesus and he shall sit down and rest because of the sanctified, totally sanctified uh, sons that he'll have in heaven. That'll be a great day. We'll not, we, won't, we, we, will, we will have no sin. We will be experientially in heaven what we are positionally now and what we long to be. Now, in the interim time, in the interim time, 
God is going to do everything He can to conform you to the image of His Son. The ultimate goal of God is that you might be conformed to the image of His Son. You can wear those little buttons if you want to that say, don't give up on me. God didn't finish with me yet. Be patient with me. God didn't finish with me yet. That's exactly right. And He's working in our life. He's desiring to conform you to the image of His Son so that even sorrowful experiences and difficult experiences are part of that divine plan. And the ultimate goal, the ultimate accomplishment will be when Jesus comes and will be perfectly purified when we see Him. Now I want you to ask yourself some questions now in this conclusion. Before the invitation begins, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions, maybe four or five. Have you ever truly been born again? I mean, has there ever been a crisis moment in your life where you repented of your sin and you turned by faith to trust Jesus Christ and Him only? Not any work of man, not the church, not good works. Has there ever been a time in your life where you repented of your sin and you turned toward Jesus Christ and you trusted Him and Him alone? And you confessed your faith in Him. Has there been that time? Then you have positional sanctification. If not, you, are, you have no position. You have no position. Not only are you covered with your own demerit, but you, there is no merit of Christ to cover you. Now, this is what happens when you're saved. God takes our demerit, our sin, and He lays them on Jesus, and He takes His righteousness, His, His loveliness, and He transfers it to us. Has that ever happened to you? If not, your decision this morning is to come and trust Jesus Christ and Him only for salvation. I mean, just as you are. Just like you are. For the loveliness of Christ will, be, will cover you. You, can't, you don't have any loveliness of your own. All your unrighteousness is plural or as filthy rags. The second question I want you to ask is this. Now that I have been saved... Am I truly set apart to God? Am I consecrated? I'm converted, am I consecrated? I'm born of the Spirit, am I living filled with the Spirit? I'm risen with Christ, but am I reigning with Him? I possess Jesus Christ, but does He possess all of me? Now, have you ever come to the crisis of appropriation where you were willing to to absolutely and totally consecrate your life and everything in it to God? Or, after having done that, are you now, are you aware of sin in your own life that needs cleansing and forgiveness? We're going to have our invitation and we're going to invite you to come this morning. In fact, we're going to beseech you, going to beg you to come to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior or to totally sell out to God if you've never done that or to come if you feel necessary because others have seen your witness to say, I've sinned against the Lord. My witness has been ineffective. In fact, it's been negative. I want to rededicate myself to Him. And a part of the pilgrimage of the will of God is being totally obedient to Him. Maybe some of you would say, I feel God leading me to a church. 
This is the church I feel God leading me to. Will you join me in prayer? And then after we've prayed, our choir will sing and we'll invite you to come. Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks for what we have in Christ and for what God has wrought in the cross for us and what He's doing through the Holy Spirit in us. Father, we come today to say that we desire to be everything you desire to us to be. And we know that it is not by human effort or human will, but in allowing the Holy Spirit to take control of everything in our life, our minds, our wills, our emotions. And I pray, God, for the decisions that need to be made in response to the appeal of this message that you might receive the glory and honor of everything that's done, from everything that's done. Because I pray it in the name of Christ, and I beg it for his sake. Now in a spirit of prayer, would you stand? And as our choir would sing, would you come this morning?